Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But notice in verse 9 through 10 below, we're going to see these doxologies. A doxology is nothing more than just an expression of praise, of, uh, of worship. And we're going to see three of them here in uh, the, the passage that we have before us today. Notice in verse 9, And they, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they sang a new song, and they said, What? You are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy, Lamb of God, to take the scroll, to open its seals. For you were slain. Notice past tense. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and nation and people. Can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to sing. Today on Truth in Christ, Scripture says, And they sang a new song. Welcome to our Bible study with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. The elders sang a new song for mercies that are forever new. The new song sung in heaven about Christ is inspired by His redemptive work, which we know is the shedding of His blood on the cross. The target group for redemption is described as every tribe and nation which is the same group that is identified in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Like it in all the universe. You can say Buddha, you can say Allah, you can say anything. But boy, once you say Jesus, boy, the demons start to shriek. And you know that because people, even in their own flesh, they start to get really uncomfortable. Because why? Because they're controlled by the Spirit of God? No, because they are controlled by the enemy of their souls. They may not be demon-possessed, but I can tell you, when you mention the name of Jesus to a person who does not have the Spirit of God in them, there is immediate conviction. And it provokes a response. They'll either be reverent or they will be blasphemous. There's very little in between. But there is power in his name. What does it say in Colossians 1? This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. In verse 17 of Colossians chapter 1, it says, He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church. The Pope is not the head of the church. Chuck Smith was not the head of the church. Billy Graham was not the head of the church. No one is the head of the church except for Jesus Christ. It says it right here. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, what? He might have, what? The preeminence. The preeminence. He is to be the center. And he is, even in this heavenly vision that we're seeing here, that is real, by the way. Did you know that what we're reading here is not just some kind of allegory? No, this is the reality of heaven When you die, Christian, you are going to see this place until God raptures your body and your body is reunited with a new body or your spirit and your soul is reunited. You are going to see this place and we will see this place for at least seven years. 
So get used to this scene because you're going to see it. And it'll probably seem like a moment, honestly, because a thousand years is like one day and one day is, is a thousand years. So we could be up there and have a marriage supper of the Lamb and seven years could be finished and then it's time to go back to earth. And we come back with him in his glorious second coming. But get used to this scene. Read it. Be encouraged by it. So, and notice that it says in verse 6 there that it was a lamb as though it had been slain. And to the Jews, to the Jewish people, they would see this and it would immediately bring upon them the idea of the Passover lamb that was recorded for us in Exodus 12. Remember when God brought them out of Egypt, he told them to sacrifice a lamb that night. And anyone who was in the house where the blood was put on the lintel and the side, side posts of the door, anybody who was inside would be spared. They would be saved. But anyone outside Side, any of the firstborn would be killed. And so obedience, again, right? So a lamb as though it had been slain. Jesus is the Passover lamb, and he will bear the scars that he incurred on the earth for eternity. We will see those wounds in his hands for eternity. Can you imagine that? A million years goes by in his presence, and we'll stand there, and we'll look at him. And he'll raise his hands, and we'll still see the the scars in here will see, still see the scar in his side and his feet, and it'll be a re- reminder. At that point, it won't be remorseful, but we'll, we'll be in gratitude. We will look at him and we'll say, Lord, if it hadn't been for you, I'd be in hell. It's a good thing to be afraid of hell. I was afraid of hell, and you know, fear of hell brought me to Christ. <laughs> Don't ever be afraid to talk to people about hell because hell is real. And no one spoke about hell more in the Bible than Jesus. You can look at it yourself. He spoke about hell quite a bit. And eternal judgment. It is real. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Isn't that what it says in Second Peter 3 verse 9? It is not his will that any should perish. Actually, it's a wrong verse, but you get my point. It's not his will that any should perish. But whereas a lion speaks of strength, you know, when it talks about the lion of the tribe of Judah, it speaks of strength and power. And a lamb, what does it speak of? It speaks of meekness. His first advent when he came, he came as a lamb, the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. But folks, do you know that he's coming? And when he comes, he's not going to come back as a lamb. He's going to come back as a lion. And he's going to exact vengeance upon this earth, hopefully upon none of our relatives. That's why it's important for us to share the truth of the gospel. The gospel saves. Don't ever remove the teeth from the gospel. And the teeth of the gospel is that if I don't repent, I will go to hell. Nobody likes to talk about that. Many churches today aren't talking about that. But it is the truth. And it must happen. And it must. God wants to use you. He wants to use you and I. To share that word. And notice this lamb had seven horns. Horns in the scripture speaks of strength. It speaks of, uh, of, of power. Notice that there are seven of them. And we know the number of seven speaks of completeness. It speaks of uh, perfection. And it speaks of Jesus' omnipotence. That he's all powerful. It's the one, one of the three things that God alone has. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. And he is omniscient. He's all-powerful, he's in all places at once, 
and he sees all things. He knows your thoughts. He knows your very hairs of your head. They are all numbered. When one of them falls, he could actually give you the number if he so chose. (laughs) He says, your hairs on your head are numbered. Does that sound like somebody who cares about you or someone's just like, ah, you're just a number? Right? The world treats you like a number, but there's only one who treats you like a son, like a daughter, who treats you some even more intimate than that. He treats you like the apple of his eye. He treats you like a special, redeemed person that you are. That ought to put a smile on your heart, regardless of what your, anybody has said about you. Have you had people telling you all your life, well, you're not good enough, you, you, you don't cut it. You, got, you, you work at this company for so many years, for 30 or 40 years, and they come to you one day and say, you know what, you're just old. Here's your pin. Here's your severance. Oh, sorry, we don't do that anymore. Here's your pension. Oop, sorry, we don't do that anymore either. You're not really valuable to us, but no, the Son of God values you so much. Do you know He values you? I love that. You are loved, folks. Isn't that wonderful? Let Him wrap His arms around you. But He's all-powerful, right? What does it say in Romans 13? Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority, there's no power except from God. And the authorities that exist, the powers that be, are appointed, they're ordered by God. He alone has power. He alone is worthy. He's omnipotent. And these seven eyes of the Lamb speak of his omniscience. He knows all things. He can't learn anything because he knows everything. I love Psalm 139. It's another one of my favorite psalms. Read it because it speaks of this omniscience and this omnipotence. An omnipresence of God. Wonderful three characteristics. No one has those characteristics. Satan is not like God. He is not Jesus' brother, as the Mormons believe. He is a created being, folks. That means he can only be in one place at one time. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. He knows the past really well. You and I don't know very much, but he's a genius. He knows the past really well, and he only knows enough of the future, what God allows him to, and how frustrating that must be for him. God is all-powerful. You don't need to fear the devil you don't need to fear evil. right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You are with me. So Jesus, this, it says in verse 7, then, the, then he, the lamb, came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him, God the Father, who sat on the throne. And this is the great judge, God the Father, giving Christ the verdict for the punishment due to those on the earth who have rejected his only means of salvation. Jesus alone is the mediator between God and man. And that word literally means someone who is an internunciator, someone who is a reconciler. He reconciles us to God. That's what Jesus is, and that's what he does. He's a reconciler. He is a mediator. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews nine fifteen, what does it say? And for this reason, Jesus, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And because Jesus is the mediator by means of death he also has the right to judge he has the right to judge 
Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing of myself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not speak, I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. And he would say also in John, in chapter 8, verse 15, speaking to the Pharisees, he said, You judge according to the flesh, but I judge no man on the earth at that time. He didn't. And yet I do judge. And yet, and yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. And so finally we get into verse 8 of this chapter. And verse 8 really is, eight from 8 to the end, is really the answer to the question that was posed in verse 2. Look at verse 2 with me again in chapter 5, verse 2. What is the question that was posed? Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Well, here is the answer. Here is the answer. Beginning in verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, notice, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls or vials in the King James Version, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. These golden bowls full of incense. This is symbolic of prayer, isn't it? David in Psalm 141 said this, Uh, Verse 1 and 2, he says, I cry out to you, Lord, make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. We know that in the Old Testament, that's exactly what they did. The priest, twice daily, would come into the temple. They would offer incense on that table that was right before the Holy of Holies. Remember, as you walk into the temple, immediately to your left would be the lampstand. Right immediately in front of you would be the table of incense, where they would burn the incense. On the right side would be the table of showbread. And then behind that table of incense would be a curtain, and behind that would be the Ark of the Covenant, with the cherubim pointing their, their wings down, looking downward on the mercy seat, where once a year... The high priest will come and sprinkle blood for the atonement for the entire country, for all of Israel. But the altar of incense, it speaks of prayer. And every pray, every prayer that you pray is not only heard by God, but is also held safely and securely in escrow. Isn't that wonderful? Because what does it say here? That they each had a harp. And they each had golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. God doesn't dismiss any of your prayers. Think of the prayers that people have prayed. You prayed them and you thought maybe God wasn't listening because of your own emotions. God will never hear that. God will never hear that prayer. I feel like a wreck. I'm a wreck inside. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm worthy. Is anyone worthy? There's only one who's worthy. But because you are in him, God looks upon you and says, now you are worthy. You are worthy in Christ. You are valuable to him. So every prayer that you pray is valuable. And they are represented here. So then how important is our prayer life? I would encourage you to join us on our prayer meetings. Before the services, if we can, let's meet in the prayer room. Let's be a praying people. And by all means, when you're by yourself at home, please pray. It's the greatest thing we could do is to pray. But prayer is a two-way communication, isn't it? And our part, you know, we understand our part because we can bring our lists, we can bring those things before him. We understand our part of it. 
But then we wonder, well, how does God speak to me? How can I know that he's speaking back to me? Well, let me tell you, sometimes God will just speak to you through his word. He speaks to you primarily through his word. He can speak to you in that still small voice in your heart. When you don't know, when you're having a question, when you're at a crisis moment, Lord, what do I do? And you got this funny little urge to just do this. And then you do it and you find it was the right thing. That was the Lord. He also can answer our prayers and circumstances that are in our lives. When you pray about something and it comes to pass, you're like, God, you were listening. I had so many times like that. There's no coincidences in any of this. And you all know it because I hear your stories too. The things that God has done. He does it through dreams and visions. We've got to be careful there though. But God can reveal himself. He can answer prayer. He can show us things to come. And he certainly can do it through other people. But prayer is worship. Because when we pray, we are seeking the only one who is able to bring about change. We are praying and we are proving by relying on him that he is superior and all-powerful. And do this, do you understand that we honor God when we do that? We honor him. And make no mistake, when God wants to speak to you, he doesn't have a hard time doing it. He is the great communicator, regardless of where you're at spiritually, regardless of what you feel like. There have been moments in my life, and I can count them on probably three fingers, where God has spoken to me so clearly, it literally was audible to me. There were watershed moments in my life where I literally heard a voice. And he doesn't do that to everybody, maybe because I'm a thick-headed you know, bonehead, I don't know. He spoke to me, and it was so clear to me. It doesn't happen very often like that. He speaks in other ways, but I think sometimes when he's like, you know what, you need a little help, Rob. Because I, I know you're not thinking that you're anywhere. I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling, and you're kind of aloof. So I'm just going to speak a word. I'm going to get you back on track. And he can do that, and he does that. But notice in verse 9 through 10 below, we're going to see these doxologies. A doxology is nothing more than just an expression of praise, of worship. And we're going to see three of them here in the passage that we have before us today. Notice in verse 9, And they, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they sang a new song, and they said, What? You are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy, Lamb of God, to take the scroll, to open its seals. For you were slain. Notice past tense. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and nation and people. These 24 elders are representatives of the body of Christ, of the church. We know that they are not angels because uh, in in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, what does it say? And this is the way we need to read the Bible. I would encourage you, when you read the Bible, read it like this because there are some who think, well, these are just angels, but they're not angels. And why do I know that? There's two passages, uh, Revelation 5.11 and 7.11. That's one way to remember them. 5.11, what does it say? Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. There's a distinction between angels and elders and these four living creatures. In Revelation 7.11, it says the same thing. And the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures. Do you get the point? If there's a distinction like that, otherwise they would just be all angels. He would have just said the angels and the four living creatures. See, this is the way you can read the Bible. You can read it like that. You can read it very carefully, and it'll give you the answers. I love that. And notice... 
They sang a new song, and I love this idea of a new song. And even when a song is not new, it can be new to you every single time you hear it because your heart is renewed. See, you know, you can sing the same song over and over and over again, and if your heart is right, you can still worship the Lord. Someone who is still growing in their worship gets tired of the same song, but a real saint of God can say, you know what, I can sing how great thou art, I don't care how many times, and I can still think about it, and I can still magnify my creator, Jesus, through that song. So don't grow tired of older songs and things we've done. It's good to do a new song. Sometimes the old song, we can sing a new song with an old song. Does that make sense? Because our hearts can be changed, and we can draw near to him. So don't allow your worship of God to be stale and stagnant. Even if you know the words in your sleep, praise the Lord, you don't have to look at the screen. Close your eyes and worship, <laughs> right? Psalm, 3, Psalm 33 says, David says, sing to him a new song, play skillfully with it and shout for joy. Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. I love that. And notice in verse 9 again, you are worthy to take the scroll. You know, as, you, as we look at these three uh, doxologies, these three exclamations uh, of, of praise that we're going to see in this chapter, the first one is in, in, in verses 8 through 10, and it's referring to the four living creatures and the 24 elders. In verses 11 and 12, we're going to see another group, the angels offering worship to God. And finally, in verse 13 through 14, we're going to see all the heavenly hosts and also everyone on the earth, under the earth, and in the seas worshiping God. Do you see what's happening? It's like a concentric circle. Jesus is in the center. And then you have the, the 24 elders and the four living creatures around him singing. And then around them, you've got this multitude, this myriad of angels singing. An innumerable number, 100 million at least, and then, on the outside of that, you've got all of creation worshiping, and all of it's pointing toward, toward, toward the center. Who is the center? It's Jesus Christ. He is the center. Is he worthy of giving your life to him? Is he worthy? He gave his life for you. He gave up so much. And we will see him for eternity. He gave up everything for you. Are you willing to give up your life for him? He may not call you to give up your physical life, but are you willing to give your attention, your life to him? Believe me, anybody who does will never be ashamed. They will never regret it. There's always regrets on the deathbeds. Do you ever notice that? When you get to somebody in their deathbed and they're, they're dying their last breath and they've got tubes sticking out of them and they're all pale. I wish I would have. I wish I would have. <coughs> I wish I would have given more. I wish I would have loved more. Daughter, I wish I would have done more for you. I wish I would have said I loved you more. Wife, I wish I would have told you how much I valued you, how much I adore you. Son, I wish I would have played more with you. I wish I would have played ball with you. I wish I would have went to more of your games. Live a life with no regrets and live a life sold out to Christ. You will never, ever regret it, no matter what. No matter what. You will never regret it, but you will regret it when you, uh, you know, at the end. You know, because even if you're a Christian and you've been lazy, and even if you're a Christian and you've been kind of like just checking out and doing your own thing, believe me, there's coming a time when we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you know that this is not about heaven or hell, okay? This is about 
believers being given rewards for what they've done in the body since they've been saved. And you're going to see people receiving awards. And maybe you'll receive some too. And others are going to get rewards, rewards, and rewards. And then it's going to matter to you. If it doesn't matter to you right now, check your heart. Say, Lord, what's wrong with me that this doesn't really bother me? I got my fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. That's all I care about. Really? I'm sorry. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.